So I got pre-approved for a mortgage, I found a house, and now I can close, right? Is that smooth? Not so fast. Thanks for coming on the show today, Jeff. We appreciate your time. I know you're really busy. I appreciate you having me today, Greg. So, Jeff, I want to start to unravel the process of buying a home. I mean, it's not as easy, I think, as people think it is. What would you think? No, it's, it's really a somewhat complex transaction, and it involves you know, several different steps, um, four to be exact for the most part. So how do you break down the four steps, Jeff? Sure. Um, we start with attorney review. Of course, mm -hmm. that happens once the offer is accepted. And then we go into inspections, the financing contingency. Mm -hmm. And then finally, obviously, the coup d'etat, the closing. Big day. Big day. Exciting. That's where we all want to get. All right. So now the attorney review period, that is, that's a New Jersey thing, right? For the yeah. most part? It, it, it is. It is. And it's actually... Um, um, I'm, I practice in New York and New Jersey, and mm -hmm. New York doesn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. And attorney review is the process by where the party's attorneys get the opportunity to review the contract, make sure the terms are what the buyer or seller agreed to, mm -hmm. um, so that we could move forward with uh, you know the proper uh, the process. Sure, I, I'm going to back into it just a little bit. So someone's out looking for a house they go under contract to purchase a house. So they see something that they like, buyer sells a contract, seller signs the contract. Is that the point in time that it goes over to attorney review? No, that's a good question, Greg. And, and it's a little bit of a misnomer. People think that once the contract's signed, that starts the review process. Mm -hmm. And attorney review actually starts after the contract is fully executed and it's delivered to all parties. So what I mean by all parties mm -hmm. is the buyer, the seller, and their realtors. Okay. And so if we were to sign the contract on Thursday and it's delivered to everybody on Friday, attorney review would start on Friday. Makes sense. So fully executed means that everyone signed the contract. Now it's got to get delivered to everybody, the agents, but not the attorney. So, attor so attorney review doesn't necessarily have to go to the attorney yet, just the buyer, the seller, and the real estate agents. That's correct. And in fact, in New Jersey, it's not the law that you have to have an attorney. And sometimes parties take a while to decide who they're going to use to represent them. Mm -hmm. And so that three-day period does give them the time to do that. Okay. So now it's went to the attorneys. And as an attorney, Jeff, you have three days to review it? Um, again, a, no a little <laughs> bit of a misnomer. So the way attorney review works is that once the attorneys get it, uh, we review it with our clients. We confirm the terms are in the contract of what was agreed to. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some modifications, pretty standard modifications from the realtor's boilerplate contract. And then we send those modifications over to the other attorney. Mm -hmm. And they review that with their client. And we have to come to an agreement in order for attorney review to be concluded. Mm -hmm. So once that letter goes over to the next attorney, it stops that three-day period from running. Okay, understood. So kind of to walk through that, so now everything's with the attorneys. There's some negotiation back and forth, which I'm, going to get, which I'm going to get into in a minute. But it's not a rigid three days. 
it could be you send a letter on day three, and I know you'd send it quicker, but just as an example, the other attorney receives it, and if they have amendments to that, it can extend that attorney review time frame. That's correct. Okay. So, in fact, it could drag on for a week or two weeks if we cannot come to an agreement on the terms. And what happens is that once that first letter goes out, objecting to the contract terms, mm -hmm. that stops the three-day period from running. Okay. And at that point, until we come to an agreement, that contract is technically terminated. And we then have to come back and come to an agreement with regard to those modifications to um, re-engage that contract. Understood. All right. So we have that three-day period. Do weekends count? Weekends do not count. It's only business days. Okay. Holidays do not count. So in our example before, the contract gets delivered on Friday to all the parties. Turn review starts on Friday. And then we'd have Monday, Tuesday. And by end of day on Wednesday, on end of day on Tuesday, sorry, um, a turn review could be concluded if no letters of objection have been sent mm -hmm. out. You make a really good point too, because once there's an objection to the contract, it's really terminated until it's resolved between the attorneys. That, that's correct. So the language in the review letter says, I hereby reject the terms of the contract. And until these additional modifications are agreed to by all parties, the contract is terminated. Okay. So in essence, you really huh. don't have a contract at that point. So now if I'm in attorney review, because you see sometimes you can see these things dragged out. Yes. where maybe an attorney goes on vacation or there, or some people are just not responsive. Like if you're working with an attorney that's not a real estate attorney for a real estate transaction, you and I have both seen it, Jeff. I mean, these things could drag out to your point for a couple of weeks. But during that time, if I'm the seller of the property, can I still sell my house? Uh, absolutely. Okay. And, 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 in, and especially in the market we're in <clears throat> right now, that happens a lot. Yeah. The seller can continue to show the property while they're in attorney review and in fact entertain other offers okay and terminate well the other contracts already terminated but they can move forward with the new offer and that original offer now goes by the wayside i think it's really important for everyone watching out there and listening out there to understand you have to work with a real estate attorney or at least that would be the recommendation to make sure that you reduce that re attorney review time frame you don't really extend it past that three-day period because you're vulnerable to lose losing the contract on the buy side and that and that and that's correct and that's a good point and that's something that i do point out to my clients is i mean we've had we've gotten out of attorney review sometimes in an hour right if we have a cooperating party on the other side mm -hmm. and in this challenging market that we're in it's more of a seller's market right now uh, as a buyer, you want to get in and out of review as quickly as possible because there are other people out there that are trying to buy houses and you're susceptible to them, you know, taking this offer away from you. Right. They'll swoop right in. I mean, it's a competitive market out there. Yeah, it is. It yeah, is. you and have to be efficient. We, we, we have seen that time in and time again. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a product of the market. And that's yeah. how it is when there's not a lot of inventory. Mm -hmm. You know, sellers are going to look for the best deal that works for them. And if something comes in while you're in attorney review, then you might lose your deal. So it's important to get, as Greg mentioned before, it's important to get a real estate attorney who does this for a living because they understand that the way the market works right now. Sure. And it's complex. There's a lot of different moving parts in real estate. You know, specialize with, you're not going to work with a real estate attorney for corporate law. Correct. Right? Correct. So it's kind of the same thing. I, question for you. When something's in attorney review, what are typically the things that we're seeing that are negotiated, Jeff? Sure. Uh, good. Well, there's a lot of things. Sure. Uh, in fact, um, 
I mean, if you I, haven't seen a purchase and sale contract, there's a lot of things going on with it. There, there are. And, you know, when I first started, our, uh, our attorney review letter was maybe a page long. Right. And how, <laughs> how things have progressed, our attorney review letter could be anywhere from four to six pages now mm -hmm. of additional terms or modified terms. So some of the things are um, inspections, um, terms of inspections can be renegotiated, the language in the, in the terms of inspection. Uh, the mortgage contingency could be uh, modified. Mm -hmm. uh, there are terms as to what's included in the contract, when we're going to close. Possibly there might be a post-closing occupancy that has to get negotiated. That's mm -hmm. a great point, review. especially in this market. In this market, yeah, because sellers are having a difficult time finding a place to relocate to. Sure. So. And that's something important. If you're looking to purchase a house, that could actually be a negotiation tool or tactic for you where you can give the seller the opportunity to live in that house until they find a home. I mean, you're going you're gonna to put a cap on it, say 30 to 59 days <laughs> yes. from a mortgage standpoint. That's correct. Because it can only be considered owner-occupied if you Up take possession days. of that in day 60. Right. So that's a good negotiation tactic for people currently. Yeah, and that's really come about more um, since the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, since inventory is really low now and sellers are really having a difficult time finding a place to relocate to. And to Greg's point, it is a great negotiating tool. If you're, if you're bidding, against, bidding for a property against another buyer and you're willing to give that seller some flexibility with closing and how they can remain in the property, that may be the difference between you getting the property and not getting the property. Mm. Makes sense, Jeff. All right, so I'm out of attorney review. I've worked with the right people and we got out of attorney review within that three-day time frame. What's the next thing that happens? You mentioned inspections. Talk I, a little bit about that. Yes, please. And actually, before we get to inspections, sure. we have to make sure the deposit gets made. Okay. So buyer has to make a deposit, depending on what the terms of the contract are, um, and that really is the uh, the next point. Because if inspect if uh, deposits are not actually made, the seller can prevent you from doing your inspections. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that the the buyer gets their deposit in timely mm -hmm. and within the parameters of the contract. That's a great point, Jeff. And there's really two different types of deposits. There's, there can be an initial deposit at the time you submit the contract, and then another deposit once you're out of attorney review, correct? Yeah. I mean, the contract is still set up that way. Yeah. It's still set up as initial deposit and additional deposit. And that's how it used to be. Um, yeah, I remember. People yeah. get like $1,000. Yeah, it would be a binder. You'd, yeah. you'd sign the contract and you'd give the realtor a, you know, your, your initial deposit and then we'd go into attorney review and then the rest of the deposit would be made once we concluded. doesn't happen like that much anymore. Usually it's the deposit is done after we conclude attorney review. Um, typically because most of the time when you sign the contract, it's done electronically. Yeah, makes so you're sense. not with the realtor to give them a check. Yeah, makes sense. So you do it electronically, you sign your DocuSign, and then... Yeah. You do the deposit after a turn of the uh, that makes That makes perfect sense. I'm glad you explained that because it used to, you can go back 10 years ago, there was always $1,000. Right. And so typically yep. what we would see, $1,000 to send the contract in. Exactly. But yeah, they're not in person doing it anymore. No, everything's, <laughs> you know, unfortunately we don't get to sit like this right. uh, much anymore. So everything. Well, that's why I appreciate this that much more, Jeff. As, as do I. <laughs> a human as interaction. Yes. Uh, all right, so once we have that deposit, now does the deposit check have to be cashed or do you just have to have receipt of the deposit check? Um, the deposit check is going to um, be deposited into the escrow account of either the seller's attorney, and again, depends on the terms of the contract, either the seller's attorney or 
the settlement company, the title company for the Understood. buyer. And we're seeing more and more of that. And the reason for that is because the settlement company is the company that cuts all the checks at closing. So they might as well have the deposit as well. Sure. Once the title company confirms they have the deposit, we're ready to um, conduct the inspections. Okay, so now we have, so just to kind of recap a little bit, so we're out of attorney review, we have the deposit check, and now the home buyer has the opportunity to do their home inspection. And what do they typically have 10 days to conduct those inspections? Yeah, it's usually 10 to 14 days, um, depending again on the terms of the contract. Uh, more likely than not, the sellers want the shorter time period, the buyers may want a longer time period, mm -hmm. but everybody is incentivized in this market to get inspections done as quickly as possible. Because mm -hmm. from a buyer's perspective, they want to know whether this is the house for them, depending on what this inspection discloses. And from the seller's perspective, they want to know if that buyer is going forward, because if not, they want to relist that property quickly and get it sold. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the inspections a little bit. So you have 10 days to get the inspections. And I don't know if anyone out there has ever seen an inspection report, but I mean, they can be several pages. You have 50 different things that show up, 50 plus different things that show up on this inspection report. As the attorney that has the fiduciary responsibility to your client, what are the things that you really should be focused on as someone looking to buy a house? Yeah, and I mean, that's a, that is a good point. Um, there are many different inspectors out there. Um, and sometimes we get a report that's 90 pages long, and other times we get a report that's 10 pages long. Yeah. Not always indicative of the true condition of the property. Um, so make sure that you are comfortable with the inspector that you're using, that's, that's an important part. The other part about inspections that is something to point out is that inspections are the biggest impediment to getting to closing. And so it's, it's truly important for both the buyer and the seller to understand the parameters of what inspections are about. And, and Greg, you know, I always get the question, you know, what is inspections? What, what does that mean? What do I get to do? And a lot of times it's set by the parameters in the contract, um, especially in this market. We have some um, limitations. Sure. Well, maybe you can be structural, roof, foundation issue. I guess to be a major thing where you can't really nitpick it in a market like this. That's correct, and that's a product of the market because sellers are saying, all right, well, this, this potential purchaser is willing to just stick with structural and environmental, mm -hmm. um, and you're not, so therefore we might go with that one. Um, this it's, is what, it's important to point out too, I'm sorry to cut you yeah, yeah. short, to everyone listening out there, this is a critical part of the attorney review process. Correct. This is when you get into, okay, home inspection is gonna get done, we need to set limits potentially set limits as to what can be negotiated after the inspection's done, correct? That, that is correct. And, that, and that's one of the main things that does come up these days in internal review is um, what limitations were agreed to during the negotiation. And then of course, when it gets to the attorneys, you know, my job is to explain to my client, what does that mean? What does limitations of structural environmental mean? Um, and, you know, it's important to give examples of those things. What does it mean? Give us a couple examples, yeah, Chef. Absolutely. Um, so structural would mean problems with the foundation, mm -hmm. problems with the roof, possibly problems with the windows. Those could be considered structural depending on how defective they are. Um, you know, tilted floors, slanted floors, indication. The marble that rolls the all the way to the other rolls. side. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the picture you have in your head when, right. you, when you talk about that. Um, they don't want to hear about minor defects. Um, settlement cracks in the foundation is not considered structural because it really, that's just the normal wear and tear of the home. Sure. Now, what's, what becomes a real issue, and I know you're not a structural engineer, 
But is it, do you know is it how big the crack's got to be for it to be an issue? Like if it's a two-inch crack, you gotta, might have a problem. That, that would be a problem. Okay. Uh, I would have a problem, Craig. You would have a problem yeah. with that if you were buying that house. The but, seller would probably have a problem with it. So. <laughs> Tried to sell it. So, yeah. You know, but when you look at cracks like, I'll even look at my bedroom. I notice there's like a little hairline crack. It's a settling crack. Yes. It's so, not a major issue. Right. The property. I mean, typically those are, you know, sheetrock cracks or settlement cracks mm -hmm. just from the home sitting for 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 100 years. Sure. So, yeah, those are not the things that we're talking about. But those things could be indicative of a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. So if you do see, and like you said, I'm not a structural engineer. Right. <laughs> but I've seen enough of these reports that, you know, if you do see shifting in walls, there's probably a bigger problem. Sure, it make, makes sense. Yeah. So now the inspections, they come back. We're going to go through all of that in detail with your buyer, with your, with your buyer of the property. And from there, if there's something that shows up on the inspection, is that an opportunity for me to renegotiate that contract as the buyer? It is, it is. And, and so the way inspections generally work is the buyer has their inspection, they get a report um, that indicates what the inspector found as deficiencies in the, in the property. And then we review it with them and we go over the things that are important. Um, now, what may be important to me might not be important to them. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a conversation and we decide what the important uh, deficiencies are in the report. And we present those to the seller with the report and our request to either have the deficiency repaired mm -hmm. or to ask for a credit. Um, it is and that's okay. most common what you see. I know on my end of it in the mortgage side, that's what I see. Yes. Is there some sort of seller credit or seller contribution coming back for, however, not, not significant dollar amounts, but a credit given back at the closing? Yeah, and, and sometimes that's easier because there may be something that needs to be repaired and it may take some time. It could delay closing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the buyer would prefer to have their own contractors do the work. So they say, okay, well, we'll take a credit of X um, and we'll take care of the repair after the fact. And that's, that's why you see those credits, because sometimes it's just practically, it makes more sense. Yeah, it makes sense, Chef. So now we're out of the inspection period. We've went through everything. Everything's good. We've negotiated a credit or everything's good as is. Now we're going into the mortgage and financing Correct. state of it. So what are some of the challenges that you see from, from that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, the, I would say that the inspections is the biggest impediment. And of course, next is the financing contingency. And sure. the financing contingency in the contract dictates how much time the buyer has to obtain their mortgage approval. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, depending on the lender they use, that could get drawn out. And that can have an issue with the seller. The seller may say, we don't want to wait any longer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and within the contract, they have the right if it drags on too long, to terminate the contract based on not getting a timely approval. And there's some really important dates in there with the commitment date, which we're going to come back to in a second. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, Jeff, I just want to go to a quick break. Jeff Lehman, Greg Wareham, we'll be right back at you. Uh, we had left off at important dates with mortgage financing, uh, one being the commitment date. So let's talk a little bit about what the commitment date is, because it's an important date on your purchase contract. So the commitment date, as I understand it, that's the date in which the lender issues a commitment. And from a consumer standpoint, that means the bank's lending you the money and that they've went through the underwriting process, that the appraisals came back in on the property. And barring something really outrageous happening, that transaction should go through. That, that's correct. So the commitment date is dictated by the contract terms, obviously. Typically, 
the mortgage contingency, which is the time frame in which you are to obtain your mortgage, is anywhere from 30 to 45 days. Um, uh, most of the time, our contracts these days are 30 days. Those time frames are generally construed. They're not strictly construed, mm -hmm. meaning that if that 30th day, if that 31st day rolls around, you don't automatically lose your rights to your right to get that mortgage commitment and you don't waive it. It's not, you don't lose the contract. All right. Now you're using some legalese with, with that. So generally construed versus strictly construed. strictly construed, generally meaning that eh, there's a little bit of flexibility with that. Yeah. I mean, more times than not, I mean, it's rare that the 30 day mark hits and the seller says, okay, we're done. Um, right. They don't have it. They don't have the right to do that in the contract. That would be called time of the essence. We're not going to get into the legal end of that. Sure. But time of the essence just means that that's the date certain. And if you don't meet that date, then you lose your rights. Real estate contracts, residential real estate contracts, for the most part, are generally construed um, contingency dates. Um, if they really wanted to push it, they would send us a notification and said, okay, by the way, your contingency has passed. Please let us know what the status is of your mortgage. Mm -hmm. Now, and I know you practice law in both New Jersey and New York. Is New York very similar? New York, New York is similar with regard to the mortgage contingency. Hmm. Um, however, it seems that for some reason, New York takes 30 days longer to get to closing than it does in New Jersey. And okay. I have no idea why. Um, I've tried to figure it out over the 30 plus years and I cannot figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's just, is it more rigid in New York? It, it, it usually comes down to the lenders in New York. Okay. And I, again, I don't know, I've asked a few lenders why, and I, I don't know the real reason hmm. as to why it takes longer, but I can tell you that in New Jersey, a residential closing will most of the time close within 45 to 60 days. Mm -hmm. In New York, it's more like 90 days. Hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. And that's a big disparity, especially if you're someone moving from New York and purchasing in New Jersey. So that's a big nugget that you just gave us, Jeff. You have to be aware of that because you're going to see a lot of contracts in New Jersey that come across with 30-day closings. Correct. And if you have a house to sell in one of the boroughs in New York, you're not closing on that property in 30 days. And if you need the money from that sale to buy your new house, you're gonna have to buy more time. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that is a contract term that would be put in during a turn of review. Mm -hmm. And hopefully uh, they've discussed it during the negotiations is something called the home sale contingency, which mm -hmm. is, means that you need the money from the sale of your home in order to buy the new home. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So, okay, so we have the attorney review period, we have inspections, we have mortgage financing. Let's talk about the big one, closing. Yep, yep. So now typically on, on the purchase contract, there's the closing date, and that's a, that's a general date, correct? That is, that is correct. There are exceptions. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the exceptions. Uh, new construction mm -hmm. and bank-owned properties. Okay. So if you're buying a, a property from a bank that has foreclosed on the property, those dates are strictly construed, and for the most part, what we call time of the essence. Mm. Now, even in those scenarios, we can buy some time. However, on new construction, there will be a charge if you're not ready to close on the completion date or when the closing date is in the contract. Generally, that's built into the new construction contract, which is different than the realtor's contract for resales. And that's an important point. I mean, if you're purchasing new construction, you really need to talk to Jeff about it because it's a different contract. Exactly. You know what's interesting though with new construction? So you have a strictly construed closing date on the purchase contract, which means the buyer has to be prepared to close by that date. But 
the contractor or the building, the company that's doing the building, it's not strict for them. They can move that date. That, that's true. And it's, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of things that go on in the building industry, even more so now with mm -hmm. you know, um, supplies and products and materials and delays in those. Weather could be a factor in them completing a home. So yes, they in a new construction contract, you have a closing date or an estimated closing date. Mm -hmm. And the language would, would say, this is the closing date and we'll give you 10 days notice, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, and you have to close within that 10 days, mm -hmm. as opposed to the seller, the contractor, uh, the builder, saying, well, I have an extra 180 days, which is standard in new construction, if I cannot meet that closing date that's in the contract. Hmm. That's a, it's funny how that is. Yep. You know? yeah. But I guess they, it's their new construction. They control the process and it's their contract. The key is if you're buying it, you just need to understand that. And the other, and the other thing, and you know this, Greg, is on a new construction, if you're financing with rate locks, the rates the way they are in rate locks, the, yeah. the lender has to be aware of that and obviously try to protect you as much as possible. That, given that's standards. a great point, Jeff. And from a consumer standpoint, you need to understand your options when it comes to the interest rate locks, where you can do something called an extended rate lock, where you can lock that interest rate in for a, a year time frame, sometimes even longer. But you have to be very aware of that because typically construction seems delayed. And that's no negative on the contractor. Right. It's just there's supply chain issues, there's all sorts of different moving parts. And there are, there are certain builders in New Jersey that you know are going to be ready on time. Yeah. And there are other smaller builders that maybe you don't trust that they're going to be ready on time. Sure. You know, the, the, big, the big builders here, you know, the Cavanians and the Toll Brothers, they, they, they have this down to a science. They're they, pumping they, these out. They, they yeah. know how this works. They yeah. know what they need. They probably have enough materials. So those generally are ready on time. And now on new construction, since we're on that topic, you also need the certificate of occupancy before you can close. Not only on new construction, but even on resales. And that's interesting, Jeff. So from the mortgage standpoint, unless it's new construction or it's a real estate owned property or something that was significantly renovated, we're not going to require a certificate of occupancy. Yeah. And that has changed over the years because probably as, as, re as recent as 10, 10 or 15 years ago, lenders wanted to see the CO. The, the reason they probably don't require it anymore is because in New Jersey, you cannot transfer title in most towns without getting a certificate of occupancy. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So. so, but as an attorney, you'd always have, you have to have the certificate of occupancy to close. You do. And there are, there are towns yeah. in New Jersey that don't require a CO. Right. But on new construction, it's always required because it has to be approved by the township once the, once the building is completed. All right. Understood. Understood. So now we have closing date. We, we know closing dates can fluctuate a little bit. Do you think it's in someone's best interest to formally set that closing date once they're cleared for closing on their mortgage? So generally how it works is we have that date in the contract, which is what we attempt to, to reach. And if there are delays, then there will be a back and forth between counsel for the buyers and the sellers. Mm -hmm. And we'll come to an agreement that, okay, we need another 10 days and we'll agree to that. And of course, while that's going on, we're also communicating with the lender to make sure that the lender will be ready to do that. Once we have the clear to close, which is the formal approval that that's we're a, That's a big close. term. Yes. You'll know when you're buying a house. That's right. <laughs> so um, once you have that clear to close, then we know we're ready to close right. and we can we can uh, pigeonhole that closing date based on that. But it really comes from the lender at that point. We have to, if you're taking a mortgage, 
we can't close without the money from the lender. Right. So they're really holding the purse strings, literally, sure. for us to close. And now well, we have closing date. We all know, we've all agreed to the closing date. And now money needs to be wired to the closing on the, from the buyer and from the mortgage company. Now, a question that I get all the time is, who do I need to make all these checks out to? And as you and I know, it's just, it's one wire. So the title company really serves as, and I'm not sure if the attorneys are still doing that, they really serve as the clearinghouse. So they have, we have $1 amount due at closing, which includes your residual down payment, which includes your costs associated in the mortgage that haven't been paid out of pocket yet. And you wire all that money to the title company, correct? That's, that's correct. So there'll be a settlement sheet that's prepared by the title company uh, based on figures provided to them by both the lender and the attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, they'll put together one settlement sheet. They'll have a bottom line figure. And that is the money that the buyer needs to transfer to the title company. Now, it can be by bank check. It can be by certified check. Mm -hmm. And some of the title companies these days are going back to that. You, oh, you see a lot of that. Yeah, we're starting. I start noticed they kind of went away for a while where it was all wire transfer. Well, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of wire for it these right. days. So right. some people feel more comfortable with uh, doing a bank check or bringing a bank check to closing. We have protocols in place now to try to prevent that wire fraud, to confirm wire instructions are proper and, and to safely allow our buyers to wire money to the title company. Mm -hmm. And it's one check. We send it typically a day before closing. Yeah, usually it's usually the figures come in the day before closing. We'll review that with the client and then the client will go to the bank, initiate the wire to the title company. Hopefully those funds will be in for closing the next day. And then we're ready to go. The title company cuts all the checks. Everybody shakes hands. Well, not so much anymore. <laughs> and you own the property. And you own the property. And go have a good time with it. Exactly. exactly. So, so Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time today to kind of go through the process of this. I would also alert everyone to stay tuned because we're going to do something else as it pertains to the actual purchase and sale contract. So thanks so much for taking the time today, Jeff. Thank you for having me. This was, this was great. Thanks, Greg. Well, thanks for taking the time today, everyone. I hope you learned a couple of things about the process of purchasing a home. Just to reiterate, once you go under contract to purchase a home, which means the buyer and the seller have signed the contract, you go to a process called attorney review. From there, you're going to have your home inspections done to the property. After that, we have to focus on your mortgage and financing aspect of the transaction, and then you're going to wrap up with closing day. So I hope this helped a lot. We look forward to catching up with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.